Thank you that you don't treat us like our sins deserve. Thank you for your grace and your mercy poured out upon us. Lord, we love you. We exalt your name in this place tonight. Father, we want to know you better. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fall like fire and descend like rain. Fall afresh on us tonight, I pray. Bring clarity. Bring understanding. Bring wisdom, Father. Open the eyes of our heart that we might know the hope to which we're called and our glorious inheritance in the saints, Lord. God, let us see you better. Give us supernatural understanding, spiritual discernment and wisdom into your word. Father, give my words wings tonight. Let it penetrate hearts and minds in this place and change us, Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open it to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, uh, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1. I'm going to kick off a series tonight, I believe. Um, I think we'll probably continue again next week with something similar on watchfulness, but uh, we'll see what the Lord does. But I, I, it's, it's my heart. I have a, another message just partly finished um, waiting for next week, so I do believe that we'll continue what we start tonight, just in a different, um, a different context about watchfulness. But uh, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go and to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and sh the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch, therefore. I want you to notice that this passage is in red. It's Jesus speaking. He's issuing a warning. And it's not a warning to unbelievers. Make sure you note that. He's issuing a warning. James Boyce says Jesus is speaking of people who look like believers and even think they are, but who will not be ready when he comes. This discourse actually begins in chapter 24. Uh, it is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. They wanted to know when the end was coming and, and wondered if there were any signs that they should be aware of. And Jesus replied that they could not know the hour or the day, but he did assure them that it would be at a time that they didn't expect. And he stressed the importance that they be prepared, that they be ready. Watchfulness is the theme of this passage. If you look at chapter 24, verse 30, 42, it says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then in verse 13 of chapter 25, what we just read, Watch therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. There's a division that's clearly being made in both of these passages as you read through them. You'll, you'll notice that the, the, the division is between those who are ready when Jesus returns and those who are not ready. 
And and I, I don't want you to miss that in the passage we read tonight, that those who were not ready were utterly surprised by, by their rejection by Jesus, by the bridegroom. Don't, don't miss that. They actually thought they were ready. They actually thought they were prepared. They were absolutely astonished that the door got shut without them. And he said, I, I, I never knew you. James Montgomery Boyce says, when we think about this feature of the stories, we realize that they're not about people who have no use for Christ or his gospel. They're about people who are a part of what we would call the visible church. Like many of our churches today, these people think they are saved and that think they're on their way to heaven, but their actual destiny is hell. Is there any wonder the Lord states his warning to keep watch and be ready so forcefully? Watchfulness, as I said, is a key word in this passage. And that word watch means to keep watch, to keep awake, to be vigilant. It's a metaphor to give strict attention to, to be cautious, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtakes one. Keep watch. It's a picture of spiritual alertness. So look at verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So even though this is a parable, to understand it, we, we have to understand a, a wedding in West, uh, that, that we can't view a wedding in Western eyes. Uh, uh, we, we look through this story through our own perception of what weddings are like today. But weddings today and weddings in, in Jesus' time were completely different. Um, They had a betrothal period. You'll remember that from the story of Mary and Joseph. Their betrothal period was more binding than the engagement period we have today. It actually was as binding as marriage. In fact, people who were betrothed were considered man and wife, husband and wife. And in the betrothal time, hear me, the betrothal time uh, would have lasted about a year. And it was a testing of marital fidelity. During this time, the the bridegroom would leave the bride and he would go make preparation for for her to come and live with him. And and he was preparing a place for her. And he would return uh, for her when that place was ready. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? Does it sound a little bit like John 14 when Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, uh, that would I have told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you can be also. Jesus is the bridegroom in this story. And he is our bridegroom. He's coming back for us someday. He is preparing a place right now for us. So that we can go where he goes. And someday he will come back to take his bride to be with him. One commentator says that, that in, in weddings during Jesus' time, the bridegroom was not allowed to skimp on the work. And he had to get his father's, I thought this was fascinating, he had to get his father's approval before he could consider the place ready for his bride. And so if during that time he was asked for, for the date of his wedding, he would have had to reply, only my father knows. Again, does that sound familiar to you? Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Not even the Son knows. (laughs) What's the date of your wedding? Only my Father knows. During the time the bridegroom is gone, the bride would be making herself ready. Church, we should be making ourselves ready. It was important for her to remain pure for her bridegroom. She didn't know the day or the hour the bridegroom would return for her, so she had to stay prepared. This was what weddings were really like in Jesus' time. He's drawing a picture using that very, uh, that, that very idea of a, of a wedding. 
And so when the time came, uh, the custom was for the bridegroom to go to the bride's house. And it usually was at night because he wanted to take her by surprise. And the bridal party would parade through the streets with their lamps lit and burning. And that's the setting that the story of the story Jesus is telling here. The bridegroom in the story, as I said, is Jesus and, and the bride is us, the church. Notice that there were ten virgins. In the Bible, ten is the representative number of a congregation. Many of you know that in Bible times, Jewish people could, could, not, uh, could not gather to worship together unless there were ten. It took ten men to make a synagogue. They, would worship, they could worship any time, but to worship publicly, they needed to have at least ten people come together for prayer. That, that group is called Minyan in, 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 uh, in, in the Jewish uh, mind. That's, that's what it's called. And so the ten virgins here are pictures of, of churchgoers. That's a picture of churchgoers. It's a, it's a picture uh, uh, of the church. The church is described as the bride of Christ. This parable is a picture of the wisdom of readiness. I want you to see that only five of the ten virgins show their wisdom by planning for a possible delay of the bridegroom. They took extra oil so their lamps would be ready when he returned. Oil, you, you know, is always symbolic of the supply of the Spirit. That word lamp, it could mean torch or it could mean lamps. The, the, but the flame of which is fed by oil. I have a lamp that we got while we were in Israel, and this was probably the lamp that they were talking about in this passage. You can see it has a little wick here, and this wick was soaked. It was drenched in oil. And then the lamp was filled with oil, and the wick was stuffed in into that oil, and it would burn. And then they had extra oil that they could refill this lamp. If it was a torch, like some commentators believe, the torch would have had a stick on it, and it would have been wrapped with with rags that had been soaked, drenched in oil. Commentators say that, that this little lamp and that the torch would have burned a max of 15 minutes before it would need to be refueled, before more oil would need to be added to it. Oh, can I tell you, church, it's a picture of us and our need to be filled. That word, Scripture says, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled means a continuous, ongoing filling. My mama used to say to me, Rhea, get yourself to the spout where the glory comes out. She, she always said to me, Rhea, you need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be purposeful about doing that. I need to position myself. Every morning I'm up positioning myself under the spout where the glory comes out, waiting for a filling. I know what's in this flesh. I know what I can be like. I know how easy my flesh wants to dominate and take over. I promise you, I cannot afford, Dave can't afford, for me not to be under the spout where the glory comes out. Because my lamp can only burn so long before I need to be replenished. Church, are you burning brightly for him? Are you being purposeful about extra oil? Are you being purposeful about spending time in his presence, refueling your lamp so you can burn brightly for him? Position yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. I want you to notice that there were ten virgins. Five were foolish and five were wise. Foolish and wise does not mean good and bad. It means prudent and imprudent. It means thoughtless and thoughtful. Five were prepared and five were not. Five were prudent and five were imprudent. I looked up the word imprudent in the dictionary. Here's what it says. Not showing care for the consequences of an action. Let me tell you that again. Five were prudent. Five didn't show any care for the consequences of their actions. Oh, church. I wonder if we're like that in the church today. 
if we are not showing any care for the consequences of our actions, if we're sinning and we don't even care, if we know, the, the Bible says, if you know the good to do and you don't do it, what? It's sin to you. If I know what God's word says about something and I choose not to do it, it's attributed to me as sin. And yet, church, we are sitting here tonight, and if I asked for uh, you to raise your hand, if you were guilty of knowing the right thing to do and choosing to do the wrong, I doubt very much that any of us would, don't raise your hand, but I doubt very much that any of us would be um, excluded. We're imprudent. We're not caring about the consequences of our action. I know God says that I should forgive, but you don't know what I have to forgive. No, here's what I know. God commands us to forgive. And it's not because he's a dictator God. It's because he knows what unforgiveness does in us. And yet, we say, I don't have to do that, all right, without a care for the consequences of our actions were imprudent. That's a foolish virgin. Al Legion Duncan says, this story stresses the vital distinction between those who are outwardly, visibly part of, of Jesus' kingdom. They profess his name, but some are nominal and some are real Christians. Some are Christians in name only. Some are Christians in profession only, and others truly believe in him and are ready. J.C. Ryle says, of all these bridesmaids, all of them profess to have one object in view, but only five were truly wise. The rest were foolish. Listen to this. The visible church of Christ is in the same condition. All of its members are baptized in the name of Christ, but not all really hear his voice and follow him. All are called Christians, all profess to be of the Christian religion, but not all have the grace of the Spirit in their hearts and are ready and really profess and are really what they profess to be. All profess to be of the Christian religion, but not all have the grace of the Spirit in their hearts and are really what they profess to be. Verse 5. It says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. The bridegroom was delayed. They weren't ready for that. They wanted him to come quickly so that they could be prepared. But he was delayed. And while he was delayed... All the women waited, and they all fell asleep. Not just the five foolish, but they all fell asleep. Even believers can doze. Can I tell you that? We can all get sleepy waiting. But I want you to notice that the, the, it was the bridegroom's delay that revealed those who would remain faithful and those who would, not, would not. The delay, I believe, was purposeful. I believe God is delaying today the return of Christ because it reveals who will remain faithful and who will not. If you knew he was coming back tomorrow, would you get your life together? Would you trim your wicks and make sure your, your lamp was full of oil? You know you would. But you see, we don't know the day or the hour. And so uh, the, the exhortation from the Lord is to make sure we watch and pray. The wise virgins kept their lamps burning, but even they did not keep themselves awake. It's a picture of being a real Christian, but allowing yourself to slumber, being careless, and we can all do it. We can all grow spiritually lethargic. But notice a cry went out that the bridegroom was coming, and they stirred themselves awake, and all, every one of them, trimmed their wick. The, the, the trimming of their wick, it, it was to cut off the charred ends, which would keep it from burning brightly. And so when they had a freshly trimmed wick, it would be, they would begin to burn bright again. And so by removing anything, uh, the trimming the wick would remove anything that hindered them from burning brightly or put out the light. It's a picture of examining our life. 
and getting rid of anything that will keep us from manifesting the presence of Christ, of shining for him in a dark world, of really, really reflecting all that he is, keeping our wicks trimmed. Do you know that you can be full of oil and have a messed up wick? Oh, you can say, you can speak in tongue. I know tongue-talking, Bible-banging Christians who appear to be on fire and full of the Holy Spirit, but they got some ugly in them that just radiates from their life and keeps them from shining brightly. Church, we need to stop it. We need to rise up in all that we are and keep our wicks trimmed because you can speak in tongue all you want. You can give words of wisdom, words of knowledge, give prophetic words right and left. You can be at every prayer meeting there is to go to. But if your life is ugly, if you've got charred garbage all over you from this world, you will not shine brightly for him. And he is coming back for a church who is pure and spotless and who does not have any such thing in their life. They got up and they trimmed their wicks and... And they said, the bridegroom is coming. Hurry up and get ready. <laughs> they didn't know when he was coming. You see, there weren't any cell phones. There wasn't FaceTime. There was no texting. The bridegroom couldn't say, hey, I'm on my way. <laughs> Can you imagine over a year of not hearing from your bridegroom? And, 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 and all you had to hang on to was a promise. <laughs> and you had to stay faithful. That's us, church. All we have is a promise that he's coming again. We know not the day or the hour, but he is expecting us to stay faithful and to keep ourselves pure. Some of you are weary in the waiting. Some of you are here tonight slumbering and sleeping, and some of you have empty lamps. An empty lamp is profession without relationship. Where are you in this story? 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 and 6 says, You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night nor or of the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Watch, therefore. So notice that both were sleeping. The only difference in these, two, in these five virgins was the amount of oil in their lamps. I, I wonder if your oil is, is running low tonight. I, I don't want you to miss that this is Jesus. Remember, it's in red. This is, this is my Jesus talking. And he's talking to who? He's not talking to the masses. Who is he talking to and telling them, make sure you're prepared because this could happen? To you. Who's he talking to? Somebody tell me. The disciples, followers, people who professed to be his followers. And he's saying, here, I got some news for you. There are 10, and it's split 50-50. I want it to just be one person who ran out of oil. Do you not want it to be that story? <laughs> and I want everybody to say, I got extra for you. Let me give you some. But it's 50-50. The Bible says, in that day, many will say, this is Jesus speaking again, in that day, many, not few in number, many in number will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not, per did we not perform miraculous signs and wonders in your name? And I'll say away from me, I never knew you. Church, hear me. If I could stand on this chair to get your attention, I will do it because I don't want you to miss that. We're always signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Well, follow me. I'm chasing after some signs and wonders. Oh, look at that great preacher. They flow in signs and wonders. They're, they're a tongue-talking preacher. Look at the power there. Look at all of that. In that day, Jesus says, many will say, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miraculous signs and wonders in your name? And I will say, away from me, I never knew you. That word knew means I never had an intimate relationship with you. 
We were never intimate. We were name only. When my kids were growing up and <laughs> back in the day, a long time ago, Davey, we are getting old, buddy. Um, they did this thing called DTR. Do you know what that is? Define the relationship. So they would be dating somebody, and they would come home and say, Mom, he DTR'd me. And I'd be like, what's DTR? <laughs> we define the relationship. Some of you need to DTR. God wants to DTR you. He's saying, are you going to be, we're exclusive, is what it meant. Are you exclusive? Or do you have other lovers that you're turning to? Empty lamps were people who were professing but not ready. They were pretenders. The five foolish versions were, I want you to, 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 to notice that those five foolish versions were among the others. The only difference was they had no oil. I just want to tell you that there are people among us in the church who look the part. People who dress the part. People who are all that in a bag of potato chip. They can quote scripture. They, 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 they really look spiritual. But like these five virgins, they have no oil in their lamp. They have no oil in their lamp. Proverbs 13.9 says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. We need to be filled, continuous, ongoing filling. And let me tell you, that's a not a once and for all experience. Some of you are here tonight and you encountered the Holy Spirit 10 years ago in your life. Maybe you spoke in tongue. Maybe you just got, got on fire and you were passionate about the Lord. But something has died out in your life. It's because you have to be filled. It's a continuous, ongoing filling. We need to stay in step with the Spirit. We need to stay in tune with the Spirit. And we do that by spending time in His presence, by spending time in His Word, in prayer, and in fellowshipping with the saints. The Bible says, do not forsake the fellowshipping, the gathering together of the saints. Huh. I think I'll just stay home this Sunday. I don't feel like going to church. We have fun things we can do this afternoon. that afternoon. I don't really need to go to church. I can watch it online. Yeah, take that one up with Jesus because the word of God says, do not forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. Because you see, that tells me you do it once, you're going to get in the habit. It's going to be easier to do it the next week. And you see, we're not going to church. The church is not a building. The church is something we are. And when we gather together, we become the church and we are stronger because of it. David Gusick says, the key, a key to Christian readiness is to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Much of the weakness, defeat, and lethargy in our spiritual lives can be explained if we are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. An undisciplined life will lead to your lamp running low, low your oil running low. Look at verse 8. So now the bridegroom has come and, and they've trimmed their wick and the foolish realize that their, their oil is low and they say, give us some of your oil for our lamps are, are going out. They wanted to borrow oil. There, there's some things, church, that can't be borrowed. You cannot borrow somebody else's relationship with, with Christ. You, you can't borrow the Holy Spirit from somebody else. Oh, I believe there's an impartation that can take place with the laying on of hands, but you can't borrow my supply. You can't borrow character. You can't borrow integrity. You can't borrow purity. You can't borrow the fruit of the Spirit flowing through your life. You have to possess it for yourself. There's a saying that says God has no grandchildren, only children. The point is you, you have to have your own faith. You have to cultivate your, your, own, uh, your, your own spirituality. you, you got to sit under the spout where the glory comes out. Verse 9 says, but the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. That, that word buy, look at that. You go buy it for yourself. When, when, buying something implies that there's what? A cost involved. 
Oh, can I tell you, there's a cost involved for this. There's a price that needs to be paid for, for positioning yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. To get that filling of the Holy Spirit, that, that oil in your lamp, is there's a price to be paid. People don't like it. I, I'm telling you, I am a different person than Susie down the street, and it's obvious. Just be around me five minutes. There's a price to be paid. You've you, you got to die to the fear of man and start living only for the fear of God. There's a price to be paid getting up early. I would love to sleep in. People, when I, when I was dealing with some health issues lately, I can't tell you the number of people that said to me, Rhea, you have to take care of yourself. You have to get some rest. You get up too early in the morning. You need to stay in bed. I'm sorry. But if that's the price that I have to pay for more of Jesus, I'll pay it. There's a price to be paid. That might mean you're not on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever the social media thing is that you're on. It might mean that, that it's going to cost you there. It might mean that you're going to lose some friendships. It might mean that you don't make as much money as you want to make because you know what? You've decided that more than more work hours, I need more Jesus hours. And you say, well, Rhea, that's a work mentality. No, that's just a smart mentality. By implies that there's cost involved, a price for it. Revelation 3, 14 through 22 says this, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, listen to this. These are the things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now listen, because you say I am rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Buy white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And buy, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, Buy from me gold refined in the fire. Buy from me garments that are white. Buy from me salve to anoint your eyes. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit power. He says you're lukewarm. You see, lukewarm water, I could sit in lukewarm water all day. It's comfortable. Oh, church. Some of you are so comfortable in your Christian walk. You're not hot, you're not cold. He says, I would sooner have you be cold, untouched by the fire of the Holy Spirit, than you have been set ablaze and now you're lukewarm. Where are you at in the story tonight? Where are you at in this story tonight? So the virgins who are unprepared, they, they go off looking for more oil to buy and while they're going, the bridegroom comes and those who are ready go in with him to the feast, and then the door gets shut. This section teaches us that when Jesus comes, it's going to be too late to become true and authentic Christians. There are some people who live saying, you know what, I'll just wait until I get sick to make it right with Jesus. I'll live like I want to live and have fun. <laughs> that Christian stuff is way too restraining for me, too confining for me, and I'm just going to live how I want to live, and then hopefully at the last minute, I'll get right with God. That's a dangerous game to play. These five virgins, they thought, you know, the bridegroom's delayed. We're a little tired of waiting, tired of keeping our lamps trimmed and our oil ready, and it doesn't really matter. He's not coming soon anyway. So they were unprepared. The 
The commitment has to be paid now. We can't wait. They made the mistake of thinking that they'd be able to get ready and prepared when the announcement is made. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. We must take off our mask of spirituality. We have to stop playing these religious games, and we've got to start being real and authentic, laid-down lovers of his. We might be fooling those around us, but I promise you we are not fooling Jesus. These virgins realized it was too late. The door was shut. And they say, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I, I, I do not know you means you have never had an authentic, personal, saving relationship with me. I love this scripture, 2 Timothy 2.19. It says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And I tell you, the Lord knows who are his. You are not fooling him. He knows what's in a man. And he knows who are his. He says assuredly that that word in the original language means amen, amen. Truth, truth. (laughs) Certainly, certainly. He's saying this is truth. And I want to stress that anytime the Bible repeats a word twice, it's always to stress it. It's always to get your attention. This is Jesus. It's in red. And he's saying, here's some truth for you. Truth, truth. Get this in you. I never knew you. I never knew you. You never had a personal saving relationship with me. And the door is closed. Verse 13 says, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jesus again is telling this to his disciples. He's saying the the importance of being made ready, always on the alert, being diligent to keep their hearts pure and their zeal fanned for Christ. Are you keeping watch over your life? The bridegroom is coming, and we do not know the day or the hour. I I read this. It's a long quote, but I want to read it to you. I promise I'm finishing, Uh, but I I have to read this to you because it brought this in a whole new perspective. For me, I I studied this. I've studied it all my life, and it's always been about the return of Christ when he comes for his bride. But this author looked at it in another way as well, and I think it's profound. And so listen closely as I read it. It's a very long quote. We've always been told in seminary to never quote anything that's longer than maybe two sentences. It's longer than two sentences, but I'm going to do it. This is from William Taylor. He says, nothing, listen closely because you really don't want to miss this. It's so good. Nothing will more correctly reveal what is in a man than the coming upon him of some crushing and unlooked-for crisis. Let it be temporal ruin by the failure of his calculations or the disappointment of all his hopes. Let it be the entrance of the death angel into his home and the removal from it all his nearest and dearest earthly friend. Let it be his own prostration by some serious illness which puts him face to face with his own dissolution and forthwith to the extent, the extent of his resources is unfolded. And it is at once discovered, both by others and by himself, whether he is animated by unfailing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and and sustained by the grace of the Holy Spirit, or whether he has been deceiving himself, all the while relying on some other support. It was a shrewd remark, Andrew Fuller, that that a man has only as much religion as he can command in trial. I love that. A man has only as much religion as he can command in trial. Let us therefore look back upon the past and analyze our experiences at such testing times as those which I have referred. We all have had them. We have all heard already in some form or another this midnight cry, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. For in every such surprise as those which I have described, Jesus was coming to us. How did we meet him then? Did our lamps go out? Or were we able to trim them and keep them burning brightly all through? Oh, if by such an event we discovered our our utter 
resourcelessness. Let us betake, betake ourselves now to Christ, that he may thoroughly renew us by his Holy Spirit, and so prepare us for that last and solemnness crisis. Went over the graves of the slumbering of the dead, the archangel shall cry out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, and all shall arise to stand before his great white throne. I love this. Because what he was saying is, when a crisis comes into our life, when a trial comes into our life, when something hard comes into our life, it is the bridegroom coming to us, saying, is your lamp burning? Do you have oil in your lamp to light your way through this trial, through this hard time? It's not just about the end time when Christ comes back. It's about how are you faring up under trial, under hardship, under pain, under under persecution how are you faring and that is your wick burning brightly do you have oil to carry you through or will your lamp go out in the face of that kind of trouble and trial we need to ask ourselves this we need to examine our heart one last thing before we close James Boyce says to take note here I thought this was profound. All of the virgins were invited to this banquet. All had responded positively to the invitation. All were a part of what we would call the visible church. All had some affection, even love for the bridegroom. All confessed Jesus as Lord. All believed in and were waiting in some sense for Jesus' return but only some were ready. Only some were adequately prepared. We are dealing with a sleepy church. We're dealing with a lukewarm church. We're dealing with a church who's not full of oil anymore. And Jesus is warning us today to keep watch, therefore, saying you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man is coming. My question for you is are you Ready? Oh, I don't mean ready in the sense of have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you responded to the gospel message? I don't mean are you ready in the sense of do you go to church? Do you attend Bible study? I'm asking you is have you really been born again? Are you living watchful in your life, living ready for the return of Jesus? Are you keeping your wicks trimmed or are you simply among those who are holding their lamps long since emptied of oil. This passage calls us, exhorts us to examine ourselves. Watchfulness requires self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Paul says, this might happen. I might preach Christ to all of you and then I myself be disqualified. It's a time of examination, of self-examination. Where are you in this story? We must ask ourselves if we are truly in Christ. Are we sold out, laid down lovers of him, of, of him, or are we nominal, lukewarm Christians, Christians in name only? Don't forget he's talking to his disciples here, warning them to be prepared. Being unprepared implies no faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to, to please God. Unbelief disqualifies us for entrance to the kingdom. Uh, but, but you say, well, Rhea, I believe. Well, James says, faith without works, action is dead. So if you really believe, there'll be evidence of that in, in your life. Uh, the, the Amplified says, faith apart from its works of obedience is dead. James goes on to say, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. In other words, if there aren't any deeds in your life to prove your faith is genuine, that that's what proves you have a genuine spiritual life. 
works. You say, Rhea, I'm not saved by works. <laughs> no, you're saved by grace. Praise the Lord. Not by works so that no man can boast. But now that you're saved, <laughs> that same grace that saved you enables you to walk in obedience. You, the Bible says that you are saved um, by grace for obedience. <laughs> Where did we get this messed up, hell-sent message that obedience doesn't matter? Where, where did we get that? If, that, if you believe that, come talk to me. Challenge me with that one because I will take you on and I'll win. I prayed that tonight some sweet thing. Where's she at? Sweet girl prayed against false teachers and people leading others astray with teaching that's ungrounded. Got to watch what we're listening to. The Bible says to be prepared in season and out of season. Well, this pastor right here, can I tell you, he preaches a Where are my grace people? Does this man preach a solid word of God? He does not veer from the word of God. I love it about him. But, but I'm telling you, when you sit under Dave's teaching, when you sit under my teaching, don't you take our word for it. You weigh it against the Bible. You go home and say, does that what I just heard line up with the truth of the word of God? But see, you can't do that if you don't know the word of God. Can I tell you, you do not fall for every wind of teaching. The Bible says you've been led astray because you go every wind of, this teacher sounds really good. They preach a really powerful message. I saw them speak in tongue and it was so good, but their message was so warped. And because we're not even in the word of God, we can't even measure that word that they spoke to us against the word of God. So we're falling for every wind of teaching and we are being led astray. Spurgeon once wrote about how we must be careful not to find ourselves falling asleep in our following Jesus and serving him. He says, I fear me that the Christian church is far more likely to lose her integrity in these soft, silken days than in those rougher times. We must be awake now, for we traverse the uncharted ground and are most likely to fall asleep in our own undoing unless our faith in Jesus be a reality and our love to Jesus a vehement flame. Many in these days of easy profession are likely to prove tares and not wheat. Hypocrites with fair masks on their faces and not the true-born children of the living God. Christian, do not think that these are times in which you can dispense with watchfulness or with holy ardor. You need these things more than ever. And may God, the eternal spirit, display his omnipotence in you that you may be able to say in all these softer things as well as the rougher, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going to ask that Megan come up and close, but while she comes, I just want to challenge you. I was saying to Dave, I... Um, I used to have such an incredible hunger for the word. Like, I, I felt like in the morning I was going to meet with my lover. I couldn't wait to get there. I, I, I felt like every time I opened the Bible, it just came alive to me, and it was so wonderful. They were wonderful, wonderful years of, of, of just God speaking to me, and he still speaks. But, but, but that passion for his word, I said to David, diminished, and it's being replaced by this intense passion for prayer. I, I can't explain it. And I, I said to David, I, 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 miss, I miss the word. I, I miss that, that sitting with the word and it just popping off the page at me. And, and I said, Dave, what do you think he's doing? And I know what he's doing. He's giving me a burden for the church. And, and we have got to take our place, church, that place in prayer and in intercession. He is raising up watchmen on the wall who will stand in the gap for the nation, who will stand in the gap for unbelievers. Leslie and I pray every morning, give us a heart for the unsaved. Give us a heart for those who don't know you. We've got to start tearing and, and, and crying out to the Lord for that. And my heart is heavy. It's heavy for the addicted. 
for people who are making drugs or alcohol or shopping or gambling their drug of choice. Can I tell you, Jesus is my drug of choice. I get a high with him. I got. I know what high is like. There's nothing, no high in this world that can compare to what I get with my Jesus. Do you have another love? Are you turning to something else for support? Meanwhile, your lamp is running dry. Oh, Jesus, come and fill us afresh with your sweet Holy Spirit. Let us burn for you, Lord. Give us a passion deep within our soul for more of you. Lord, we want more of you. More of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come fill us afresh and anew. We repent, Lord God, of turning to other things, bowing down before the gods of this world, making idols out of the things of this world, Lord. Looking to anything other than you to satisfy. Forgive us for the things, Lord, that have charred our wicks, that have blackened our life that keep us from shining brightly for you. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry, Lord. We're trimming our wicks tonight, Lord. We're trimming our wicks. We're throwing off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we're going to run our race fresh tomorrow, Lord. We're starting tonight. We're setting our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. We're taking our eyes off the things of this world and focusing them back on you, Lord. Oh, Father, give us a holy fire. Holy fire! Burn. Burn in us, Lord. Burn away the dross. I pray for encounter. Lord, without encounter, none of this is going to happen. None of this is going to happen. Lord, your church doesn't understand encounter. I pray for encounter supernatural encounter with a supernatural God. Awaken our souls, Lord. Stir in us a fire. Holy fire. Holy fire. Holy fire. Give us a burden, Lord, for what burdens your heart. We want to know you better. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord God. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. Set us apart for your glory. Consecrate us, Lord, I pray. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Hearts to receive, Lord God. Circumcise our hearts afresh tonight, Lord. Cut away the flesh. Cut away the flesh. We bow before you. We bow before your throne. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.